Hi guys, Lauren here. Welcome to the Ink Feather Podcast. Is it your first time here? In case it is, let me give you a little summary. If you are a fantasy and sci-fi book nerd, then this is your podcast. I love reading fantasy and sci-fi, and so I wanted to take it to the next level by interviewing best-selling fantasy and sci-fi authors and industry pros on these series that we love. So I kind of have a personal approach to my podcast. We dig deep into these books and it's really exciting for me to talk to people about these series that I love. And I had some people asking me recently why I do the podcast that I do. And so I thought I would do a little bit of an intro to what Ink Feather really is. Um, me personally, I'm a full-time photographer and I do uh, mostly fantasy photography. I've done a calendar for charity in the past that had a lot of fantasy authors in it. Um, beloveds like Lee Bardugo, Cassie Clare, Christopher Paolini, Jim Butcher, Patrick Rothfuss did it twice because the proceeds went to his charity, World Builders. So I was always blending my business with my passion. And I also worked for a site called Litheris for 10 years. Uh, Litheris is run by Mike McCauley, who runs Shirtigal.com. And Shirtigal.com is Christopher Paolini's fan site. So because of Mike, I had all these great connections. And over the years, I've been able to interview tons of amazing authors. And I hated writing reviews because they seemed really formulaic. And every written review was always like, here's why it's good. Here's why I hated it or whatever. It was boring to me. But what was not boring to me was picking the brains of these people. And I really started figuring that out, honestly, during the the creation of the calendar because I'd be hanging out with these authors like for example Holly Black was in the first calendar and the location we shot at was like two hours away from her house so I was essentially in the car with Holly for four hours just talking and you know dissecting ideas and just having fun and so I get to pick the brains of these these fantasy authors these professional artists who are creating these amazing stories that we love and so I I wanted to bring it to you guys. I wanted, I know I'm not the only one who loves this. I know I'm not the only one who reads a story and is like, wow, how did they come up with that magic system? Or man, that character was so fierce. Who was the inspiration for that? Where did they come up with that idea? And I don't want to just ask the broad question of where do you get your ideas? I want to actually read a book and dissect it with the creator of the story. And so that's kind of where this podcast evolved from. And so I've been trying to get big list authors, authors whose books really appeal to me. Um, like today's episode is uh, Shannon Chakraborty, S.A. Chakraborty. Her first book, City of Brass, was my favorite book of 2018. I'm good friends with her agent who told me about this story years ago. She saw me at a Comic-Con party and was like, oh my God, I have to tell you about this book. It's, and she started like, giving me the summary of this amazing world with these like different gin and their different magics and this girl from, you know, I, I mean, ugh, she pitched it and she was just on fire for this story, which frankly is how you want your agent to be. Um, and so it was really cool to hear. And so to actually get the book in my hands and now see the sequel, which was just as good as book one, uh, if not better, I don't even know. I, I just felt the same way. I just couldn't put it down. I was completely captivated. So for me to have this history of this story, hearing about this book for years from different people, and then finally getting the chance to talk to the author and dissect the book uh, is was really exciting for me. And so I hope that these 
I hope that my excitement translates to you guys. This is why I do this. And, you know, I'm going to start hopefully implementing more personal questions, just getting in more of a conversation with the authors in the future. I'm, I'm still kind of working out the logistics and how I approach things. But, but yeah, that's the Ink Feather podcast in a nutshell. And I hope that you guys enjoy these episodes. And if you're enjoying this episode, you should check out some of my previous episodes. I have had the chance to interview so many cool people. I also last year pulled some of my throwback interviews because I've done audio interviews for years now and some of them are great. Like the very first episode was Lee Bardugo and Marissa Meyer sitting down with me at San Diego Comic-Con. I think it was like 13. And the three of us talked and it was great because they were both fans of each other's books. And they were like, well, you know what I love about your book? And then the other one was like, well, but I love this about your book. And so it was it was honestly one of my favorite interviews. We're just sitting there going, oh, my God, this is great. Listening to them just kind of run the interview themselves, but being like, well, yeah, but you did this with your character. And then the other one would be like, yeah, but then this and the romance and oh, you know, it was great. So it's really fun for me to pull back old interviews, too. But I want to move forward. I want to talk about books that we're excited about, books that are coming out. Um, also, I don't know if you hear the little noises in the background. I have a parrot. She's very noisy. And I decided to start doing these intros more candid. So you may occasionally hear cats purring or birds talking or making noises. She was walking around in her cage a second ago. She's eating lunch. So but yeah, that's me. That's me. I'm a bird nerd, a fantasy nerd, and a book nerd. So uh, but yeah, enjoy enjoy this episode. Like I said, City of Brass was my favorite book last year. Kingdom of Copper is as good as book one, and I could not recommend it more. So if you like fantasy, this is a series you need to check out if you haven't. And if you have checked them out, I would love to hear what you have to say. Um, also, I'm excited to say that I'm going to be launching a newsletter for you guys so that you don't miss an episode. I'm not going to be sending spammy stuff. It'll be like once a week, just, hey, here's the, new the newest episode. And I'm going to have a link here to sign up for that newsletter. It's just so I can provide people who are who enjoy listening to interviews with authors the chance to not miss an episode in case there's an author that's a favorite of yours. I want you to get the chance and you know the algorithms with social media there's always a chance you might miss something. So um, definitely check that out and I will make sure it's very visible and you can check it out on my Instagram and you can check it which is Ink Feather Books and um, Facebook is Ink Feather Books. So I'll put it somewhere visible. So all right now on to the interview and I hope you enjoy. Hi Shannon welcome to the Ink Feather podcast. Hi thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you. The series is incredible. So we're here to kind of touch base about the new book, The Kingdom of Copper, which comes out at the end of January. But before we go deep, for those listening, maybe who pick the podcast up who don't know what your books are about, can you tell us a little bit or give a quick pitch of like what what we're dealing with with these characters? Yes, my books are part of a trilogy, the Devabad trilogy, and it starts off in 18th century Cairo. It's an about Egyptian con artist um, who gets pulled into a magical world she never suspected. Yes, and then stuff happens. <laughs> lots stuff happens. Lots of stuff happens. <laughs> oh my gosh, and it's amazing. It is one of the most beautifully complex books I've read in the world. It's this lush, and these characters are complicated and relatable and it I just loved it so much so I guess I want to just delve into talking about the creation of this world because it's historical but it's also fantasy and you have a little bit of both in there was what was it like blending that for you was it harder as you went into book two we had like a little less history there's mentions of things happening in like Cairo Egypt but she's more in the magical world now 
What was it like kind of blending those parts for you? You know, this is my first real writing experience. So I don't know that I I can say, oh, you know, writing strict fantasy felt like this or writing strict history felt like this. I really get more inspiration from the history stuff that happens. And it's fun because this book, it takes place in what is essentially an alternative magical world that exists alongside our own. So yes. the creatures in it are taking little bits of, of humanity and little bits of history and society and then making them their own. So I can kind of, you know, if I need something that happens for the plot or for the character I can kind of do that and then you know make sure it correlates with what with something that's real but it's it's yeah it's more fun than anything I wouldn't really say I feel too constricted by facts because we are taking place in this alternative world it's sort of just sort of end brackets the stories honestly like like yeah. the real world the rest of it is this like you said this girl who had no ideas pulled out of her reality and going wait what the heck and they're at this magical city and all this crazy stuff is happening so and you have a really neat magic systems you have things that deal with healing you have elemental magic is there like a particular magic that you really wanted to make sure you represented in there or was it just sort of what felt natural for these characters it was what felt natural for the characters. And I tried to, even with Nahri's power, she comes from a family of jinn who have been blessed with healing abilities. And I thought to myself, okay, if what would that look like? And, you know, I, I had worked in, in, in medicine and a lot of it is about communication. So I thought if there was anything that, you know, a healer could really use, it would be the ability to speak and understand any language. So I gave that to her as mm. well as healing abilities. And, you know, just, just working with that, like I, I didn't get to... When I started the book, I did so much of the world building. I mean, years in advance, it was actually more this world building project than a specific book. And I kind of had the idea that, you know, different jinn groups would be granted different abilities. You know, there would be one that was the metal workers and they would have the ability to sort of, you know, weld with their hands. Um, and one would be just particularly good at conjuring. And a lot of that had to be cut because I had to focus on a plot. But I did <laughs> want to just just like, you know, bring in some of these cool ideas of of like living with magic and using it for jobs, for cooking, for, you know, your daily errands and chores and the ways that could look. Yeah. It's really interesting to see how that even though you said a lot of it got cut, it's still very prevalent because they obviously are in this magical world and existing. So you see these glimpses of people doing interesting things. And, you know, one of our main characters actually in book two really develops some strong um, elemental magic, let's just say. I'm not going to get yes. too spoilery, but I was like, oh, crap, this is awesome. All of a sudden, you just like the person goes crazy and it's amazing. But it was really neat to kind of see that, you know, as the story progresses, more and more was kind of being revealed things that we didn't, I didn't anticipate. Like, I felt like, okay, I know the magic. And then all of a sudden, new stuff was popping up, even as the book came along. That must have been really kind of fun for you to go, hee hee, I'm going to make this go crazier as it as it goes on. Oh, it was a lot of fun, especially with the elemental magic. I yeah. really tried to look at a system. Okay, we have all of these creatures that are created from certain elements. Humans are from earth, the jinn are from fire, the married are from water. And I really tried to kind of imagine what that would look like. So we spend so much time in the jinn world and we're talking about their, you know, conjuring maps from smoke and they can, you know, 
snap their fingers and summon a flame. And when I moved to working with the other elements, I really wanted to bring in what would it like to be a creature created of water? Might yeah. you be a shapeshifter because, you know, you're kind of free and floating? Would you have the idea that, you know, you're kind of more of a unified group? I don't know if you've seen Star Trek Deep Space Nine, but I had the idea that, you know, the married, the water elementals were kind of like how Odo was in that, you know, they were shapeshifters and they could take any form and possess others, but that their natural form was almost to be sort of this one unified liquid. Um, so I wanted to, to look at that and even working with the language, you know, you talk, when you're talking about the gin, you're this, this is smoldering and this is, you know, your emotions are burning through your <laughs> veins. Then moving back to the marriage, you know, something is creeping upon you like a wave. Like I just wanted to kind of stay in those elements, if that makes sense. Oh, it definitely does. It's it's really fun as a reader. I, I, Elemental Magic is my favorite, hands down. So to read it in a different way, uh, that felt a little fresh to me because I, I've, I didn't feel like these characters are fire. It was more like, ooh, it's a person who has all these complex different levels of magic who also happens to be made of fire. So it was neat to see how it also manifested. And then, like you said, with the water. Yeah, it was, it's really cool. And it's it's neat, too, because you you kind of going back to what we were saying about like history versus creating whatever you want because it's a magic world you have these really cool like monsters and creatures that are elemental based and also just sort of like out coming out of the, the woodwork i guess <laughs> <laughs> was any of that inspired by like true mythology or was it just like oh what cool thing can i make up that fits within the world Oh, no, a lot of it was folklore. I mean, from the the monsters and because they're, they're mostly monsters, you know, I yeah, have my, that's what I mean. my creatures, but <laughs> yeah. then the monsters are mostly from folklore. I mean, the, in the first book, we see a carcadon and I had kind of envisioned it as essentially this giant, you know, rhinoceros versus like unicorn, horrible cross up that's all covered in blood and everything. And carcadon is you know, that's that's now like people say, oh, that's what people were imagining a rhinoceros was. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when you didn't see when you were writing these texts and these stories and you had never seen one that becomes a monster and some of the old images are wild. So I tried to pull from that or the idea of some of the birds, you know, the Smurg, the Roke. Um, those are all, again, from from folktales and some of a lot of times they, some of them are the same, some of them are different, but I wanted to kind of take the, those ideas and just because a lot of this was working from the folktales and kind of bringing to life some of that stuff. Well, and I, like, I'm a bird fan. I'm a bird nerd. And so like in book one and in book <laughs> I two. I your picture. I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big bird nerd. I um, And so when there's like basically, I think in, in book one, we're like halfway through book one, this giant yes. raven, <laughs> basically the rook comes and like, yes basically eats one of our main characters you're like what is happening i was like yep i'm not a bird i could get behind but then you have people like heister the parody who's kind yeah. of like this like parrot guy i don't even know how to explain him he's like bright green feathers but he's a dude but he's like a he's like an air spirit but he's all these mix up and i was just fascinated with with him i honestly i thought he was really cool <laughs> he had just that 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 kind of creature and how it manifests and uh, yeah um the the creatures were really fun and even even in book two the latter part of book two you kind of bring those characters back but kind of manifested through fire sort of like they are made through one of our one of the powerful yes. characters kind of brings yes. them back in like a in a way that he because he can control them because they're made from him but it's still like giant monsters that run amok and go crazy so it, it was really neat again as a reader to experience these 
bizarre and scary monsters. Yeah, like you said. And you kind of have zombie things in there too, ghouls yes. that are <laughs> Yes, the ghouls. <laughs> and and like you were saying with um the 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 meted the the sea people like they're like the sea creatures there there's like one of them was um like possessing a body that just kept rotting every time they yes. talked to it was a little <laughs> bit grosser and do the main character was like yeah it was that dead body down there that skeleton with you know shells on it is still the same guy like oh it was there was just this element of this creep factor i guess yeah it was um it was really cool so i guess I have all these questions because for those of you listening who maybe haven't read these books, these are some of the most intricate and complex books I've ever read. I'm actually a fast reader and I read these really slow because there was so much to absorb. And so I'm kind of trying to think about different ways we can touch on all these cool elements of these stories. I guess one of the things I really want to understand is how we, because you said you worked on the world for a while and the world is very complex, but the characters are, are just as complex. Like you you run these characters through the ringer. They have, I don't know who feels what half the time because we're like, are you a good guy? Are you a bad guy? What, <laughs> what is the definition of good versus evil? The lines are very blurred. Our characters are kind of in between, you know, there's some, and you, you blur those lines really well. I, I kind of want to dig into, I don't know, the creation of that, that idea of, of, of how each character, they have their own truth, but yet everything's kind of this gray area because how things have been and our main characters don't really fit within that mold, I guess. Well, the most important thing for me when pulling up the characters, and I know every writer says this, but I wanted them to feel real. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I can even start with Nahri. We have a lot of lost orphans with mysterious backgrounds and abilities <laughs> in fantasy literature. And again, fully, you know, I fully wanted to embrace that trope, but I also really wanted to look past it and really think what kind of person would survive an upbringing like that? I yeah. mean, just imagine living in a world like most worlds are today, where which is heavily based on community, on family, on having a place and being part of that, never having any of that and having abilities that would rightfully make anybody who learned the truth about you just run in fear. Yeah, terrified. Yep. And, you know, I think that could be survived, but that would really shape the kind of person you became. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, if people would survive that different ways and Nahri survives that by becoming, you know, she doesn't trust anyone. She has no close friends. Um, she's kind of always on guard. You know, survival is, you know, sh she's number one yeah. and she's not going to apologize for that. But she has at the same time, I didn't want her to just be this, you know, cynical person. I wanted her to still have dreams to know that she was intelligent, that she wanted to do something more with her skills and was saving money for it. You know, she has, she, I, when she's taken from Cairo, I wanted it to not just be, oh, this poor girl is lifted from the sad human world. She's stolen away. Um, she has a rough life there, but the life that she's given in Devabad isn't any easier. And for her, Cairo is home. Egypt is home. And she had hopes and dreams there at that, you know, she she essentially is forced to abandon. And I wanted to show when she gets to Dave about again, take this person who could survive something like that and thrust them into this magical court of, oh, guess what? You're the heir to some lost family and you have all these responsibilities and now you're a religious leader. And oh, right. But the people in charge are the ones who kind of assassinated all your an ancestors yep, so. centuries ago. And I wanted to I mean, how would somebody survive that? You know, it's it's that type of thing. Yes, we can have our, our righteous heroine just want to stand for justice and not bend. 
I didn't see Nahri being a person like that. Yeah. I saw Nahri being a person, slight spoilers, that would make an arranged marriage um, if she felt like that was pr- good for her. Not just good for her, not in a selfish way, but I have a responsibility now to these mm-hmm. people. I have a responsibility to myself. What can I do that will save my life, that will save a lot of people? And even if it's not, you know, this happily ever after. Well, and, you know, you kind of go back into that heavily, more heavily, and I say in book two, because like, even though her identity stays strong in book one, it's, she's kind of like, holy cow, her eyes are a little, not big, but all this crazy new stuff is happening in this whole world she didn't know of. Book two, you're kind of, she's settled in more. I mean, you pass time for you for a few years and, and she keeps revisiting these things that you just said, like Cairo is still something she is sad that she lost. And, you know, at one point, I think I remember her being like everyone she's ever cared about in this new world has basically broken her heart or destroyed her or deceived her. So she's like, well, guess I can't still trust anybody. Nothing's changed. And and you, you know, you let her her identity still come through, even though she's got all these responsibilities and, and you she still kind of revisits that core of who she is. I found it really interesting after all that time had passed for her to still be able to reflect on on that core of who she is and and um decide what to do about that because it was almost like realizing hey you know this this is still this is my reality so i i I can't trust this person i thought i could they hurt me i'm never gonna let them hurt me again so i'm gonna just treat them as a mark as she says or like as Mm -hmm. something that is to be used for her end game or i don't know I, i i liked I like the reality of that because I, you know, that's, I, you're right. That's how people would respond. It's like, well, you, you were a jerk to me. So why should I believe you? Why should I think you were my friend? If you're going to be, yeah. if you're going to be this horrible person to me, kind of like what you were just saying too. And with the, with the, the ancestors and her coming into this world, I guess one of the things I was thinking about when I was saying gray area is our main characters of this younger generation who have grown up, with these ideas before them and and she's again thrust into this world and given the the facts quote unquote there's still a lot of gray because our main characters are you know they're told they're supposed to feel a certain way or believe a certain way but yet they're fighting against that and that's kind of how i think our our i don't know the story evolves that way with them having to deal with for example, prejudice. Prejudice is one of the biggest themes in these books with them being like, well, you're half human, half gin. You're dirty. You're not good enough. You're a lesser person. But at the same time, there's still people. And for someone like her, she, you know, growing up in Egypt, the people were people, whereas now she's supposed to not like these people and she fights against that. I, I guess, you know, what made you want to delve deeper into that because prejudice is strong in book one but it's very prevalent as well in book two I think again I wanted to get into some of that moral gray area and in a lot of books and a lot of stories you know prejudice is the thing we assume only the villains carry (laughs) that's that's nonsense we all we are all we are all especially you know I'm I'm white I live in the United States I'm very aware of you know just what white supremacy has done to our society and how it's modeled to be and I really wanted to delve into that and just talk about we all carry this and recognizing how much you carry and recognizing what you carry in terms of how that 
gives your identity power or how it hurts your people, you know, coming to terms with that is a huge part of being able to fix things. And especially in book two, I really wanted to talk about characters recognizing what they come from recognizing what their families and their people have done and finding ways to still try to fix things. And I think, I think to be quite honest, in 2019, this is something a lot of Americans could stand to read. Yes. Uh, and it's just that idea of like, a lot of people don't come to terms with that. There is a character in the second book who doesn't come to terms with that. And it's, and it's that, it's that idea. I mean, I think we all like to think we would be the hero in a story. We read horrible things in history and we go, Oh, that wouldn't be me. I would be part of the resistance, but that's unfortunately not the way it works out. A lot of the times, I mean, we have, we live with monsters today. I mean, we have people who, you know, ICE agents go and they're arresting families and tearing uh, parents apart. And then they go home and they have dinner with their wives and their children. And I don't think they think of themselves as monsters. And I wanted to really show that, that a lot of what can allows this prejudice and violence and oppression to continue is when the majority of the population still buys into it. I felt like we were in like a fly on the wall in this in the secret rooms of history even though it is a fantasy story of of like you said the reality of it's like you would think i could be a rebellion but yeah when you're the way these characters are like yeah i'm i'm kind of trapped i'm doing what i have to do uh we'll we'll deal with it later or we'll try one thing now and then maybe in the long run we'll be able to make more changes and as opposed to just fight the power or whatever they feel yeah. but yet at the same time some of our main characters are, are taking a stand and and yeah you how those uh <laughs> the results of that are detrimental in some ways to some of these people it's 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 a really interesting study of cultural and character you know differences and how what happens when those preconceived ideas and lines are challenged? Yeah, there, it's funny you should say like 2019. Like there were multiple times reading book two where I was like, well, that's relevant. Like it yeah. was, I felt that too. I really did. I don't know. I just, these characters felt deeply real because of that. And I, you know, I'm glad you went there, I guess. I'm I'm glad you made them have to deal with these issues and it destroys some of them emotionally it yes and i really wanted to look at the different ways different characters r respond to that i mean we have our two princes um and they are from a you know their their father is a tyrant and mm -hmm. they have a complicated relationship with that i mean they grow up not really realizing that or, or you know in the first book they I don't think they see him as that. They think of, you know, that he is, he's our father and we love him and he's only doing this because it's for the good of the city. It's that very much thing that of what, what's, what freedom will you sacrifice, um, you know, in order for stability? That's the word our, our uh, leaders love to throw around. Um, and I wanted to t show how these two men go about that differently. Um, we have our crown prince who is, you know, he falls in that. Like he's, he's in many ways, I think the more relatable character, he's very charismatic. He's very caring. Um, we see that he truly does care for many people from the, from the Deva tribe who are among the many his father is oppressing. Um, he's married to a, to a Deva. He's completely in love with another one. Um, and he, he has that, but at the same time, yep. he has very much 
swallowed his his father's line of thinking that no you know sometimes people need to be crushed for their own safety and he is not the kind of person who really has that in his soul to do it so he's by the second book um he's you know he's struggling with alcoholism a lot um, yeah it's, it's a lot it's you know he has essentially lost the person he cares for the most because he's you know he he still is is loyal to his father's way of thinking mm-hmm. um so that yeah so then we looked we looked at ali and i wanted to you know he's a very religious devout young man and he you know he's muslim and i i wanted to write you know we have a very clear call for what is social justice in islam and it is not you know murdering people so that you can catch other people yes and and, you know kind of but at the same time you know this it's i didn't want to write Ghassan and the family as you know this stereotypical plotting scheming royal family there is that but you can tell these are all people who deeply love each other and Ali loves his family he loves his father Ghassan loves him yes his that's his his you know youngest child and in many ways probably his favorite and it's just coming to a head where you know Ali is not going to be able to continue this and to not be able to continue this means he's going to at some point have to rebel and it's I wanted to sort of show this quiet um dissolution of their relationship where it's you know Ali's going to have to come to terms with the fact that you know I may have to pick up a blade against my own family and at the same time Ghassan whose perspective we don't see but I wanted to show it in quiet actions is almost doing anything he has to to avoid the fact that he's probably going to one day have to execute his son for treason yeah Ghassan is the king and his son is basically rebelling against what he stands for as a leader and what he's trying to implement currently as a leader I guess is a better way of phrasing it and and yeah it it gets real <laughs> and but yeah I, you're right i i there were these glimpses throughout the second book where we see the family's affection for each other even though you're like you're right nothing nothing in these characters is black and white nothing and and i loved that because that's humanity you know that's reality um i kind of want to touch on what you just said it was a, a little note i have here i love the different points of view you you in book one, you kind of jump between the three main characters. And then in book two, you, you still do the same. And it's, we get these glimpses. But in book two, you kind of do this. I think, I, I can't remember it happening in book one. If it did, I don't think it was as prevalent. But where, like, the reader knows what's happening, but the characters yes. don't. And you're like, I mean, I was like, oh, crap, when's that going to implement? And sometimes it wasn't until, like, the end of the book. <laughs> and yes. <laughs> it was really cool. I mean, I guess, go into doing that as a writer that must have been really fun to plant those seeds and you know we see these other side characters having a mild conversation that the main character barely takes notice of but we as readers are going oh i know what they're talking about i know what she's scolding him about or whatever um that was really fun as a reader to to know what the characters didn't and wonder when they were going to find out Yes. Well, also in book two, I did it more and I'm going to try to say this in a a way that avoids spoilers, (laughs) but I wanted to show, we have three points of view in book two and I wanted to show that people are trying to make a different world and they're going about it in very different ways. And we have two of the point of view characters and they're back in Devabad. And yes, it is messy. It is complicated, but you can see they're really trying a new way to make some peace. And I wanted to show that in many ways they're making progress. Um, you can see it's a very delicate and very fragile and is 
almost shattered at the end you're in, in an event you think oh they wouldn't get back from this but I wanted to show that there were people making a way to do something different but at the same time when we're getting that outsider perspective and we know how it's all going to end for it to almost be a little tragic um, that you know we, we can see these characters who we care about so much and they're finally starting to break through and at the same time you know what's coming you know what's and coming. You know, unfortunately that's about to just be shattered yeah it was it was uh i don't know it was as a, again there there was the big thing and then there were like little things too that were just like oh my gosh are we ever gonna find out are they when are they gonna find out about these different <laughs> betrayals or truths or, or whatever yeah it was it was very well done and it was okay. very fun as on my end as a reader to be like oh crap <laughs> this is this is crazy because i don't feel like i i see that a lot in in books I've read recently where that is blatantly like reader knows characters don't and what's going to happen. Yeah. So kind of going back to what you just said too, about the characters are trying to make a difference. You challenge that in a very realistic way too, because like, for example, they're undermined. There's, there's a scene, there's a big thing that happens where they're trying to work together to build a, a bridge across different cultures and to come together for a good cause. And people don't like that. And so they're undermining them and having, you know, people getting accused who didn't do anything or bad things happening. And yeah, it was it was hard to read. And it was hard to read knowing, like you said, they're fighting through that and knowing that the end, like, is it even going to be all worth it at all? Which I think, you know, no, even just like in life, nobody really knows. Like I wanted yeah. to make book two really about choices that depending, you know, how these characters react in these certain situations and what they choose to do, that's where, you know, they kind of differ in personality. I think I like my morally gray villains. I like, you know, when things are convoluted and you're not really sure. But I think when it came down to it, I wanted, you know, these characters, side characters and main characters are given in, in book two, at certain points, they can choose what to do and they choose rightly or they choose wrongly. And I think some of them choose to do what is the right thing, even knowing it probably won't matter, even knowing mm -hmm. it, it will likely end in their death. And some of them, who, and I know this is this will this will be interesting watching play out. Don't do that, even, you know, when they kind of can go back and forth and make that decision. And I think I think, unfortunately, that's how people are. And I could include myself in that. Sometimes people don't make the right decision and you don't feel like you have a choice. But I wanted readers to really kind of weigh in on that about, you know, what your everyday actions do. Oh, yeah. Or like you make the safe choice, even though, you know, it's probably not yes. the morally better choice. And yes. it's not a bad choice, but it's not necessarily the best one that you feel like you could make. And then you have to live with that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of I can't do anything to change the world. Why even bother? Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I wanted to kind of just gently prod at that. And you really don't know what you can do and even the small things um, and, and kind of show how that works. You leave us with a nice kind of cliffhanger. It's not like <laughs> literally a cliffhanger, but it's a wait, what? What? <laughs> wait, what's <laughs> happening here? What's what can you tell us about book three, the the final book in the trilogy? I'm I'm assuming you're working on it right now. I am. I am. I'm trying to think what I could possibly say that <laughs> no. would entirely spoil book two because I don't think there's anything. <laughs> um, well, 
I mean, I don't mind talking spoilers in this podcast, but these books are so good. And I know that book one is so loved in the fantasy community. I have heard, like, seriously, everyone has amazing things to say about this book. (laughs) And book two was as good, if not better. And I I really don't want to spoil anything in case someone's listening who's a fan. So, okay, so stuff happens. Our characters are... uh, (laughs) Our, our characters are, are around book three doing things and I'm guessing things get resolved because yes. you leave some like some major stuff happens at the end of book two that it's just like yes. everything gets flipped upside down and and it's I'm really interested to see how everything comes to a close so yeah. I am too <laughs> <laughs> you're like I'll let you know in a in a year and a half when the book comes out yes <laughs> um before we go, is there anything you've read lately that you really like? I always love asking authors because they, you know, I know a lot of them don't have time to read if there's families or they're writing, but it's always curious to see what, what you're into if you've read something that you recommend. Um, I'm reading two different books right now. I, I actually took a slight bre- break from reading fantasy and I'm reading um, a nonfiction called Empress about the but Mogul India, which is usually a little is a little later than the time period I, I typically am interested in reading about, but it's fascinating. It's about Noor Jahan and she was mm. essentially an empress and she has a fantastic story. So I'm reading that. And then I'm actually almost done with a historical fiction I'm reading right now called The Watermelon Boys uh, by Rukaya Izzedin. And it's fantastic. I, I always recommend when people are fantasy or science fiction writers, they're always, you know, kind of asking for craft tips. And I say, don't just read in your job genre read outside and in general I suggest reading historical fiction because well done historical fiction does what you want to do in fantasy it brings characters from a very different world into the reader's eyes and mind and heart and just across those centuries across time and and you know across a very different you know cultural uh, perspective. So I, I always recommend they read that. And I, I love this book in general. It takes place during World War One hmm. and during the Arab revolt in, in Mesopotamia and essentially what came to be, you know, the Iraqi fight for freedom against the British. And I, I like it. And I like pushing books like this on people, especially uh, <laughs> in the United States and in the West, because, you know, we, a lot of people, when they think of World War One or, or, you know, this era in time, they're like, oh, it's like Downton Abbey and like the, you know, the, the fun days of imperialism and all this stuff. And I'm just the like, fun days no. of imperialism. <laughs> no, no, I used to read it from the perspective of people who actually suffered it and fought and, and yeah. you know, are still suffering the consequences of the fun days of imperialism. So <laughs> I, 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 that's, it's, it's one of those books I'm enjoying too, because it's just fantastically written and it's, I've been pushing it on people. No, that's great. I will absolutely recommend. It's always fun to see what people are, what people are digging, you know, especially people who are writers, um, what they're connecting with, what they're being inspired with. And yeah, um, on a side note, Mughal India, I saw that you, didn't you blurb Tasha City's book? Yes. Isn't yes. it so good? And it just, the rights just sold for TV. Did they? Yes, it came out yesterday. I'm so excited. <laughs> so for those of you listening who haven't read this book, I interviewed her back when it came out in the like end of last year. Yeah. It is so good. It is it like is so good. Mughal <laughs> India inspired, like Hindu magic, but like it's sort of like elemental magic, like 
Avatar The Last Airbender, which she's a fan of and we talked about, but instead of them like using martial arts, they use like Hindu dance to manipulate the element. It's so good. Yeah. It's a ridiculously beautiful world and her, <sighs> her characters are just like, they're like so warm good. your heart. It's and so good. Just the way she writes about family and about like love and, and surviving these sort of grim political circumstances. It's, it's fantastic. And she's a delightful human too. So yes. we need to support her. And that is actually incredible i that makes me really happy because this book deserves love she that's amazing yeah so when you said mugu india i was like ding that's <laughs> and then i was like and you should if you you should follow her if you're interested in things like that on twitter because she posts very fun stories she does and she does. and for those of you who are audiobook listeners they have this you and her have the same narrator for these books and it's one of my favorite narrators i absolutely love her she does an incredible job so yeah there's definitely check them out so <laughs> Side note, read that book too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, Shannon, thank you for chatting with me. This is really cool. We kind of, I know we kind of covered a lot really quickly, but I didn't, I did I just wanted to talk like, I guess the broad strokes of these stories because they are so complicated. They are so beautiful. <laughs> the world is just incredible. The characters are, like you said, complicated, lots of gray area, lots of moral gray area and people wondering what is right versus what is easy versus what can I do at the end of the day to make this world better? And it, it's beautifully written. You left us with great cliffhangers. I cannot wait for book three. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you for, for joining me and chatting about um, these books. And I can't wait for people to get their hands on the kingdom of copper. Oh, thank you for having me. And thank you for everybody who's listening. <laughs> Awesome, guys. All right, we'll be back next week with another episode. I have a couple different authors lined up, and I'm really excited to share those episodes with you, too. Bye! Bye!